You make my heart burn. Boom, boom, boom. <laughs> hey, what's up, citizens? I am your V podcaster host, Jay Starks, and welcome to the Bingo Book Podcast. Ah. <laughs> and we are on episode number 44. Ooh, is that Lucky Fours? Lucky Fours? No, we, got, we need one more for. We got to get into those hundreds of episodes, right? <laughs> uh, well, hey, I hope that you all got to do something cool this week. Uh, man, I didn't get to do anything too, too interesting. I spent time pretty much looking at new houses uh, because I had some very unfortunate circumstances happening. So, uh, yeah, the crib that I'm at right now, uh, long story short, it's being rented and it got bought out by new ownership or new partner group. And we're close to having our lease expire. So we're pretty much stuck in a limbo of like, okay, are they going to give us a new lease or what? What's going on? So for me, just being on the safe side, I'm, you know, I got to make sure I have a, a plan B and C in place. So yeah, unfortunately, that's what a lot of my week has been and weekend. But hey, you know, you got to do what you got to do, right? So let, let me look at the chat real quick one time. We got Fifi. Hey, what's up, Fifi? Fifi says, nope, four is unlucky in China, at least. <laughs> yeah, that's true. That's actually true. And and the, a lot of that, um, those beliefs you know, come across, of course, into Japan as well. And they don't really like using the number four a lot too. So oftentimes they tend to skip over that number for some things as well. So yon, yon son. But yeah, but I hope that you had a great week, Fifi, and that your Sunday has been somewhat pleasant. Um, Today's episode, I mean, we got a lot of things to discuss. Uh, Some very unique topics. Uh, This a week of animes some pretty pretty cool episodes bleach was uh, spectacular i just really enjoyed that and i'm i'm probably going to post something that is kind of erotic <laughs> and i'm not i'm really not like that type of vtuber or or content creator at all i don't really get off on stuff like that that's a little etchy but I just feel like I have to share this thought because it's true. Like that's, it's really how I felt about watching this week's episode of bleach. Um, what else, what else was actually pretty good this week that came out? Um, I'd say that, I mean, undead murder forest is just one of those animes that it's just thriving each and every week. I just feel like I'm watching a movie. That's how good this this anime is. So, uh, but yeah, all right. Well, we get into our summer 2023 anime discussions for our A-side slate. And today's episode, we'll be discussing several topics such as becoming an artiste, an artist. Now, I understand being fans of anime I'm sure that we look at artwork all the time for our favorite characters, environments, and more. And we just wish, like, dang, I wish I could create that same art myself. Uh, example, I love the art style for Fire Force. I don't know if any of y'all have watched that anime, but I think that art style is beautiful. And so I would love to be able to replicate some of those characters. You know, I just think the style and the quality is just so good. 
Uh, but yeah, I feel like, you know, because of that, we should definitely have a conversation about some of the things it takes to become an artist. Now, I know y'all saying, well, Jay, you're not an artist yourself. I don't see you throwing no commissions on uh, Twitter or anything like that. Well, once upon a time, I used to actually have my own comic book. It was a school comic book that I did in my school, but a comic book nonetheless. <laughs> All right. Um, Fifi says, hey, I, I have. I'm sorry to hear about your house limbo. That sucks. Oh, yeah, yeah. It's okay. Like, it's. It happens, you know, that's, it's life and, you know, that, but that's why we got to get the permanent crib, right? <laughs> we're working, we're working towards that goal. I got big, big, I got major plans. I hope that I can share that with y'all one day, um, but not, it's, we're not ready yet. We're, you know, we're probably a, maybe two or three years out from me being able to share something I've been working on that's really major. So, um. And also, we're going to talk about in today's episode, types of pillows. Yes, <laughs> you heard that right. I know you're like, wait, what is what is Jay talking about now? Yes, I mean, but think about it. Sleep is such an important thing that we all need to do. So I feel like we need to have a conversation about how important a component of our beds is, that being the wonderful pillow. <laughs> hey, don't forget, after our first break, we will return with more anime topics in our B-side slate. So, of course, as always, kick back, grab a snack, and I hope that you will enjoy tonight's show. Okay, so for our first anime for discussion, that is... The Dreaming Boy is a Realist, episode 10, titled Your Legs Already at T minus five seconds before blast off. What? <laughs> I tell you, these, these titles get more ludicrous by the year. It's just it's crazy. But uh yeah, in this episode of The Dreaming Boy is a Realist, uh Aika begins to have stronger reoccurring thoughts about Wataru. From the time they first met, leading up to when he started to treat her differently. Hmm. So she, he, she's loved on his own him a little bit. Just like, wait a minute. You know, I, I'm starting to have feelings for Wataru. I'm, I'm missing him. Like, what's going on? So, you know, she's on the school campus right now. And after seeing Wataru... She begins to chase after him, thinking about all of the emotions she has bottled up inside for missing his presence. Hmm. So, of course, I mean, I, it made me think about someone you regret not giving a chance. Because, in, I mean, in this episode of The Dreamer Boy is a Realist, I mean, Aika's basically thinking of him like, man, maybe we should have dated. Maybe we should have been a couple, an item together. And, you know, did I did I miss my chance? Did I miss my window of what could potentially happen between us? And so, you know, do you have anyone that you regret not giving a chance? Hmm. Anybody? Anything? Anyone? Just one person. Now, I mean, of course, right now we're speaking romantically, but it really could be someone, even if you wish that you could have became friends with that person. Now, Personally, I think that a lot of us visualize moments of people that we could be with romantically. 
So, for example, like you might ask questions like, dang, you know, I wonder what would have happened if we dated each other. You know, you kind of have those different thoughts of like, okay, you know, we would have been living in this house or we would have been staying in this apartment and things would have been great. We might have fought a little bit, but other than that, things would have been, you know, they would have been, they would have took off. Uh, or it could have went the other way around where it's like, no, if I would have been with this person, we would have never been able to see eye to eye. We've been constantly fighting and it just wouldn't have been worth the time. So it's actually a good thing that we never got together or remain friends. Uh, Fifi says, I'm dead set when it comes to emotions, but that might be an autistic thing. Oh, okay. Do tell Fifi if you, if you don't care to share. So you're saying that when you, when you feel a certain way, you allow, you just share exactly how you're feeling with that person right then and there. That's what I'm assuming. That's what I'm getting from this. Um, now, if that's true, Fifi, to be honest, I'm the same way. Uh, whenever I'm dead set on someone myself, uh, you know, well, I have this thing. I have this thing where if I dream about a person a significant amount of times, like consistently, then that lets me know, like, OK, I really like this person because I can't stop thinking about them even when I'm asleep. You know, now in my day to day, I honestly don't feel like I I don't even think I have the time <laughs> to really think about anybody. But I, I for some reason, it's almost like an omen, like it comes to me in my sleep and it says, OK, you should consider this person. And that's kind of how it goes. So if that happens, I mean, that person is pretty much within my sights, within my targets. And I always, one, I'm going to say 99% of the time, I will always go holler at them and, and see what we, you know, if we can work something out. Um, Fifi says, yep, I've always been really straightforward and don't wonder about stuff. It doesn't seem productive. No, that's facts. Like, why am I going to sit here, you know, drumming up different scenarios if this person likes me or anything like that? Like, no. I got to straight stay true to my feelings and express exactly how I feel. And whatever the response is from that person, if they reject me and they don't, you know, they don't, they don't want to be with me or maybe they do want to be with me, but I'll never know that unless I actually go ask them right there in that moment. And so, yeah, I'm with you. Like, why not go out and go get your answer? You know? Um, but you know, there's a lot of people out there where, they take a very passive approach to things. And I mean, if we're being honest, that burns me up. <laughs> that, that burns me up so much. It's like, bro, like homie, like just go for it. Like, don't worry about the what ifs. Like, don't, don't bother with, you know, continue to beat yourself down over this and getting in your feelings and you're not going to do it. Oh, and while I'm on that topic, another thing is friends that constantly tell you the things that they're going to uh, about a person, the things that they want to do. And when you give them sound advice to like, just go for it, they back out and they still want to talk to you about this person. I'm like, dude, shut up. <laughs> I do not want to hear about it. You're not going to do anything. This conversation is pointless, you know? <laughs> But uh, Phoebe says, now, fictional characters, now, that's a different thing. <laughs> hey, hey, facts. That That's kind of a, 
a part of the post that I be might be making later on today, maybe tomorrow on social. So <laughs> I'm with you on that. But yeah, you know, um, another thing that some people might ask when uh, there's someone that you regret not giving a chance is uh, if we started our relationship now, opposed to like a few years ago, you know, maybe we would be in a much better place, right? So, you know, you can imagine that maybe your ex-boyfriend or your ex-girlfriend, that when y'all were together at that time, things was just way too rocky. And that's what ended up, you know, separating y'all and making y'all go in different directions. But maybe after a couple of years, either both of y'all have matured, um, y'all gone through some things in life that were very significant. And you're like, hey, like, I, you know, I feel good. This is great. Like we, if I was in a relationship now, we would be peas in the pot, right? So I, I do think that sometimes we get in our heads about moments like that, uh, especially when it's someone that we regret not giving a chance. Uh, but, you know, I, I, as we were kind of talking um, here today, I mean, I would just say, like, don't regret, you know, go for it so that you don't have those regrets. Because me personally, I, I mean, I would say there was one time where I do have a regret of not giving a chance, but it's not that we weren't. Uh, dating, it's more so like we didn't go to the next level of seriousness. So um, I, I might have shared this story before, but I'll kind of give y'all a little uh, peek in how things went. So I'm dating um, someone that was going to school and, and as a nurse practitioner, and they were just super smart, super, super, super smart. I really, really love what they were doing in life. And I was going through a lot of personal things. I had issues, severe, severe issues in my family uh, that was actually impacting like my regular social life. Like I couldn't, I, I was depressed. I had a lot of things going on at the time, right? And um, the person I was dating was like, hey, you know, let's take things to the next level. And I understand you're going through a lot, but like, let me in, like, let me be there for you in these times, in these troubling times and, and help you get through this. And I was being really selfish at the time. Well, and what I thought to be good reason, I'm like, because they were in school and they were really close to graduating, I didn't want my life and things to impact what they had going on because you know, I mean, when you hang out with certain people and your energy rubs off on them, um, maybe they start taking things a lot more seriously in your life and start slipping a little bit in, in things that they have to prioritize. I just didn't want that to happen uh, to them. So I was like, no, I'm out. You know, I, I, I'm, I pretty much pushed them away. And I feel real bad about that because it's like, man, I, I there might there's times every now and again where I'll think about how things could have been if I would have, you know, what what might how things may have played out. But that's the whole point. That's the reason why I tell y'all, you know, don't regret giving someone a chance, um, you know. But at the same time, you know, you do have to make what you feel is the most logical, you know, choice, you know, or maybe it's not even logical. Maybe it's just a choice that you feel like needs to be made and be okay with that. And I would say in this instance, I'm completely fine in that choice, but I do think about the what ifs in some degree, you know? 
Um, Fifi says, that doesn't sound selfish, dude. Don't beat yourself up so much. Oh, I appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, I mean, I, I definitely felt like I did the right thing. I didn't want to tie someone down, anchor them with my own issues. And, um, you know, I'm I'm cool with the decision I made because as long as that person is on a good trajectory in life, you know, I'm that's what satisfies me in the end, you know. But okay, but hey, if you had someone that you regret not giving a chance, uh, you got a story that you'd like to share, please feel free to put that down in the comments. We'd love to read about it. And, you know, we we if it's something that is tough and hard for you to get through, you know, maybe we can sh uh, talk about it and, and help you get through that. <laughs> but all right, we move. We move on to our next anime for discussion. And that is... Reign of the Seven Spellblades, episode 10, titled Master and Knight. Oh, this was actually a pretty cool episode because we got a little bit more background on some of the supporting characters. Or, I, see, I, I look at supporting role like a little bit different because I guess like any character that shows up on a screen that's not the main characters can all be considered supporting. But my definition of it is more of reoccurring characters that are not the main characters of the story. So if you see them, uh, let's say there's a total of 12 episodes and you see them in six episodes, I would consider them supporting characters, you know? And, um, but if you see the other characters that are the main characters in like, you know, 10 out of the 12 episodes or something like that, then of course, then those are most likely like the main characters, although they could be supporting characters as well. Um, but yeah, in this episode of Reign of the Seven Spellblades, Michelle joins Oliver and Nanoe in a three-way bout versus her relative Stacy Cornwallis. Cornwallis. That, that's, that's such an interesting last name. I always think about fields of corn when I say that. <laughs> but, but um, uh, you know, she's accompanied by the highly trained Joseph Albright and her loyal companion, Faye Willock. So Faye Willock, you can actually, if for those that are watching the live stream right now, you'll be able to see uh, them when they were very young. He is the little pup guy <laughs> standing right above uh, Stacy Cornwallis, and I mean, look at them. Aren't they cute? The cutest things ever. Uh, but yeah, during their battle, we get to see flashbacks of when Stacy and uh, first met Faye, and basically Faye was like a stray, like he didn't have any family, like no parents, uh, and he was very wounded. And so Stacy, you know, pretty much protected him and tried to take him into her care uh, and into their household. And so she had to beg uh, her father, like, "Hey, like, don't get rid of him, don't, don't, don't kill him, like, let him stay with me, and I'll, and I'll, you know, take care of him. Uh, you know, just trust me." And and so from that moment on, they had a very close relationship. And um, Faye is very thankful for Stacy's care of him. And, uh, and during this battle, he turns into a werewolf. So he has the ability to pretty much transform. He's like half human, half werewolf. Um, and in this transformation, uh, it's said that 
because he's uh, a halfy, he's not a full werewolf, that transformation inflicts a lot of pain on him. So he's suffering this whole time while he's trying to fight in this werewolf form. Um, but he's willing to do anything, even if that means putting his life on the line uh, so that Stacy can be successful and win going forward. And so, yeah, I mean, this is a perfect definition of, you know, what, a, you know, if there's a person that you, you know, that would do anything for you. And man, I mean, I think most of us have at least one person that would do anything for us. Like literally just anything, you know, you name it, they'll, they'll do that. And the first person or people that comes to mind, I think most of us will say our parents, our parents will generally do anything for us. Um, however, I don't think that it's only exclusive to like parents because, you know, it could be friends or extended family members or, or that you have built some really, really strong bonds with, and they will probably be willing to do the same thing. Um, now, the sad thing about this is that not everybody has this. And that, that's what sucks to me because I think having at least one person that you can completely confide in, you know, is a very, very great thing. You know, someone that you can completely trust has your back and, you know, can pretty much shoulder the things that you got going on in, in each of your lives. And so uh, I know a lot of times we hear words such as, um, yeah, you know, I, you know, I definitely, I'm a, I'm a ride or die. I got your back. You know, we, we're brothers for life. You know, we're family for life, just all these different things. But you always got to ask the question, do their actions speak louder than their words? Because a lot of people say a lot of great things about it, but it doesn't really mean that they truly are about that when, it, when the, uh, what, what, what they say when the, when the, uh, rubber meets the road or when the road meets the rubber. <laughs> I, guess, I, I guess it could go either way. Right. But, but yeah, I mean, and, and, but how do you get to a point where you can figure out when that person truly would do anything for you? I feel like it has, it's an extreme uh, testimony, like something really, really crazy has to happen. And then that's when you kind of know, like, yeah, it's, it's true. Like this person really has my best intentions and will do anything for me, you know, and, but those are also relationships that you, you can't take advantage of. I mean, we've seen this before where other people know that some people will do anything for them and they take advantage of that situation. And so I really do feel like that's something that we got to be very careful about. Uh, uh, Fifi says, oh, when the chips are down. Uh, yeah, yeah. When it's, I mean, but you know, well, I, I can't say that it always has to be when the chips are down. Maybe the chips are up too. So imagine you, let's say that you were a pro gamer and you went to some league uh, tournament and you won, you won, but, but imagine that you still had to work. You still had to do things because this was your first major tournament or championship event. Uh, and you're not necessarily on a sponsored team. Everything that you did came out of your own pockets, you know, whether it be like your streaming money, what have you. 
uh, but it wasn't really enough to sustain you. You still needed extra income to, you know, be able to pay for your bills, put food on the on the table and stuff like that. Well, let's say you win this tournament, but the reason, the sole reason of why you were able to practice, you do all these different things is one of your close friends or family members or whoever believed in you and said, hey, don't worry about it. Like, I got you. Like, I know that this is something you're really passionate about. I can see clearly see that you're really good at it. Go for broke and I'll make sure that everything else is is fine. You know, I just need, you know, certain these certain things from you. As long as you can give me those things, then we're good. And I feel like that's also an example of somebody that will probably do anything for you in those moments. Now, that's not to be confused with um, someone that might be looking to take advantage of a situation because, you know, sometimes you can see like, oh, I realize how good this person is. All they need to do is a couple different things. And now I have an ulterior motive, you know, to get to a certain place on the back of your work, you know? So there's a lot of like, there's layers within it, but I, I do think that um, oftentimes people's actions, you can kind of cut through the BS and figure out if they really, really would do anything for you. But okay, we move on. We move. We move to the next anime for discussion. And that is... Undead Murder Forest, episode 10, titled Misty Hollow. Which... To me, hollow is supposed to be spelled H-A-L-L-O-W, but no, it's H-O. Or maybe maybe it came like hallows and hollow are like two different things. I, I don't know. I, I'd have to, <laughs> I have to look that up, but I'm pretty sure that I've seen them spelled both ways before. Uh, but in this episode, Rindo and the detective crew begin interrogating members of a village an attempt to solve a case where young girls have been missing and in some instances, bodies were found completely disfigured and burned. Dang. <laughs> Man, I look, when you got to see, they actually show some of these bodies and it it, it truly feels like you're on a, an investigative case uh, in a murder crime scene. It's, it's really spectacular. But... But yeah, so they begin speaking to a lady named Alma who claims to be a longtime artist and an outsider to the village's community, but was accepted a couple years ago. Now, after sharing a bit of information about herself, so she was proclaiming to be this artist of, you know, that spent so many years and came from this prestigious school and all these different things. And after sharing that information, Rendo calls her bluff and says, um, excuse me. Hey, ma'am, ma'am, that's a lie. <laughs> and one reason why it's a lie is because um, true artists that went to school do not hold their uh, writing utensils like this. You're, you know, the, the drawing techniques that you're using uh, that's not something that you would learn in school. You know, that's something that most likely an amateur would learn or pick up. And so I was like, oh, I was like, excuse me. Like, ooh, like, ooh. So of course, you know, Alma, she's kind of like, what? 
What'd you say about my art? <laughs> she, she, she was she was gasping. She was like, I can't believe you called me out. But, you know, it turned out to be true. And she uh, eventually, in the end of this episode, she kind of complied. Uh, so I, I want to talk about becoming an artist. You know, what does it take to become an artist? Because I, I, I truly feel like art is such an important part of our lives. You know, the history of this world, uh, it gives so much to us in our everyday um, things. I mean, we take a lot of it for granted. When you look at the designs of your TV, you know, your, your, your phones, all this stuff is drawn up by somebody, right? So it's a piece of art. So technology is shaped by art. Um, you know, the things that we use on a day-to-day basis, cooking food. I mean, that's shaped by art in a lot of ways. I mean, it's pretty much the pillar of our livelihood, right? Uh, Fifi says, like in the prayers, it's hallow be thy name. Yes, 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 yes. And so I, I'm wondering, it could, it's possibly that the title was a typo, but I have to look at that. I'll probably search a couple different um, uh, blogs to see what they wrote down. And maybe I can find something on the official website for the, for the uh, anime. Uh, but yeah, so becoming an artist, I think the first thing that comes to mind when you're trying to become an artist is knowing the commitment it takes to become an artist. Because, I mean, it's time consuming. (laughs) I mean, really, that's what it all boils down to. Like, you're giving your time to something that you're going to have to craft over and over and over again. Uh, And, of course, that comes with a lot of trial and error. Like, you're going to mess up. You're going to make mistakes. You're going to have to completely break down, erase, remove, uh, edit, modify until you get it to a place where you're happy, you know, where you, where you love, where it's going. But I I would also say that there's also beauty in mistakes when it comes down to artistry, because sometimes the mistakes could end up becoming kind of like your signature, right? And I think, I mean, when you hear the term like avant-garde, right, you know, something that's uh, very unique, but it kind of captures your eye, it's captivating. Uh, You know, there might be moments where you see some beautiful art like um, sword art online, you know, how the the line art is so uh, symmetrical (laughs) in a lot of ways. And just imagine if somebody just scribbled a line through every one of their bodies, you know, that would be off-putting to probably a lot of people in the community if they saw that right now, a reimagined version of it, right? Because it's not what you, you know, first saw. Uh, But there could be somebody out there that thinks like, like, man, this actually looks really, really dope and it's unique in its own right. Um, Another thing about becoming an artist is, um, you, I would say generally like many study or inspired by other artists, you know, in their work. So sometimes, for example, I, the the thing that comes to mind clearly as day is Dragon Ball. You know, Dragon Ball Z, 
there's so many artists that were made from that anime because they saw it, they loved the art style, they loved Goku and a lot of the other characters uh, within that universe, and they try to replicate that style. And, you know, eventually you end up mimicking it. And a lot of the work that you put out is very similar uh, to uh, the creator's work. Um, But eventually, you know, as you're mimicking that stuff, some of some artists come into a place where it's like, okay, maybe I should go to school or develop something as, you know, as, as I'm self teaching myself and developing techniques to increase the quality and the speed when I'm creating new art pieces. And I think the self taught route is, it just depends. It depends on which way you go. I think that there are some people that they would much prefer the school setting to learn how to art styles. And then you have some where it's like, I would rather just teach myself and enhance what I think the style is that I want. And I'll just continue adding pieces around that over time. Now that could be uh, a progressive thing where maybe that soft, that self teaching um, helps you learn much faster. Whereas school, on the other hand, because it's more slow but methodical, it could take too long and that could burn you out to where it's like, man, bump it. Like, I don't even want to learn how to do art anymore. I'm done. I'm going to go do something else, right? Um, and then lastly, you you find your unique style and features. You know, we kind of talked about this a little bit earlier where, you know, if you mimic somebody else's art style that you really love, but there's going to be some point where you start to find like, but where am I in this art? You know, what makes what makes this unique? What can I do to call this my style? You know, something that I love. And, you know, that I think that's also part of the trial and error where you might end up slipping into that uniqueness and really start to love it. Uh, but I know many artists where, they end up, they actually hate their art. They hate their art for a long period of time. And it takes them a good while to feel confident about their style. Um, you know, their, you know, how things come out. Uh, and eventually they begin to love it as they get more support over time. Uh, and then some, you know, they don't, they, they might not grow to love it at all. Uh, and it's kind of just the the throes of, of being an artist, you know, not being satisfied, right? But and then all of this in saying all of this, this applies to all types of artists too. You know, don't get it twisted. Like this isn't just for someone that draws like mangas and stuff. Uh, this is for um, painters. This is for musicians. This is for uh, music artists, entertainers. Like all of it is art in its own way, and you do get inspired in different forms of fashions. And it takes time to kind of um, build those things out. So. Yeah. Uh, Fifi says, bruh, that's literally me right now. Wait, which part of about you uh, finding your own style? Like just uh, or uh, not really loving your art style. What could it be? What what could it be? Oh, hating your art? No, don't say that, Fifi. I love it. Like I said, I love the drawing that you showed us. Your your zombie angel was fire to me like just fire and but everybody sees things a lot differently like it's perspective right what one person thinks could be ugly another person can think is absolutely gorgeous or fantastic you know and 
for me, I'm someone that likes the little details sometimes too. So I could see the the thought process kind of going as you were creating that your your character. It's like um, there's definitely some thought that put into it, and maybe some of your own personality is is intertwining it as well. You know, as you get to, as as we get to know you a little bit more, maybe those things become a little bit more uh, profound, and and we can understand them through your art. Uh, Phoebe says, I'm trying so hard. Oh, thank you so much. Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, um, you know, just keep at it. You know, it's, it's all about uh, time investment and never being satisfied. You know, continue to push yourself uh, as, as far as you can go. And uh, but even even if you get to a place where maybe you decide, you you know, this is not something you want to do any longer and you want to try something else. There's nothing wrong with that. You know, and it's OK. Like It's completely fine. And, you know, if anything, it should be a reminder of, you know, how uh, talented you are, that you can do one thing, move to something else. And you might be just as good, if not better at that, you know. But OK. All right, we go to our next anime for discussion, and that is Zom 100, Bucket List of the Dead, Episode 7, titled Truck Stop of the Dead. Now, this is actually a really funny episode because I think a lot of us, like I said, if you've been in work environments where you've had someone that was um, uh, very uh, manipulative or um, just, you know, everything that, that comes out, they're always, you know, just just overly excited about certain things and they won't leave the issues alone. They're always pressing a new line and saying, hey, I need you to do this. And without giving you the time to do it, they come back to you 10 minutes later. Like, have you finished that? Are you done? Are you, or is it ready yet? Yeah, I know. Annoying. It's very frustrating, but <laughs> yeah. In this episode of Zom 100, uh, Shizuka recalls memories of her father and how he controlled her life and expressed that she should always put survival and making the best decision for the sake of his business and her future. First, what? So this day, so her papa, her daddy is basically like, look, I don't care about what you, your friends, anything else you got going on in your life, none of that. I don't care what you want to do. You say you want to become a veterinarian? No, this is what you're gonna work for. This company, you're gonna everything that you're gonna you're gonna learn is gonna be for the survival and benefit of this company, and that's the bottom line. Like, wow. Like true father of the year material. Let's give that man a clap. <laughs> like, like what? Like, no, that's terrible. That's so that's super terrible. And I can only imagine some folks that might be going through something similar like that. You know, I um from own personal experience, I can see some people that have um been trained to uh live up to a certain expectation and pushed in a certain direction. And, you know, it doesn't allow them to be themselves, you know, and I'll, I think that's a hard, that's a, that's, you know, that's a topic probably for another day. But what I will say is that 
in, in some regards, some people do need to be like, just need a, a little a bit of a push. Um, but I do think there's ways of going about that push uh, and not just kind of like handing down and saying, oh, well, this is what you should do, you know, completely. But yeah, so, you know, frustrated with the memories of her father and how she was treated. Shizuka explodes at Akita, who is being manipulated by his previous boss to do all the things he says and tells him what and how he should live his life without worrying about others. Uh, and so she's like, look, Akita, this person is just manipulating you. They don't have they don't care about your life or anything like that. They just want you to do all of this work because that means that they they don't have to do it and makes life easier for them. And not only that, but they are hungry for power. Like they just they just enjoy bossing people around. Uh, and so she takes his bucket list, his, his journal, and she writes in tell your boss off. <laughs> you know, it's one of his rules. I want to say it was like uh I want to say it was uh job number 34 or something like that. Uh, but yeah, you know, so it made me think about going off on others with kindness because even though she told Akita to go off on him, he was really nice about it. He was like, go men, you know, I'm sorry, you know, but I can't work for you anymore. Hey, it was, it was great. And I appreciate all the things that you've done for me in the past, but I'm moving on. So he was really just being very kind about the whole situation. And so I would think a lot of us would say, um, that's not going off on somebody. <laughs> going off on somebody is like cussing them the hell out or something to that degree. Uh, but I, I do want to share some experiences of examples of going off on others with kindness because that's kind of me too. Like I'm like Akita in some ways. Uh, now don't get me wrong. Like I'm not a, afraid to let it rip and cut somebody out when they, they need it. But you know, I just find that there's just so many different ways to express yourself to where you don't have to really get down uh, and, and say some vulgar things. And not only that, but sometimes when you say bad words, uh, cuss words and stuff like that, it can set off, um, the wrong, uh, press the wrong button and that could end up causing more issues in the first place. And so that's kind of a reason why I might not go there. Um, but, um, I've worked at places that dislike me because of my attitude. Now I know y'all are like, are you serious, Jay? Like somebody didn't love your attitude. Well, I'm explaining to you why. So, um, my personality type, I don't take anything personal, uh, I'm always kind of looking towards the future. And, you know, when it comes down to a task, let's say that we failed at something and our bosses got really angry or upset about something. And, you know, some of my coworkers, they will potentially complain or doom about, oh, like the reason why we didn't get this complete was because such and such was being too lazy or they waited till the last minute to get it done or whatever the case may be. But for me, I don't like, I don't want to talk about that stuff. I don't want to, I don't care about why I didn't get finished or anything like that. My whole thing is like, let's just get it done right now. Like let's do our best to get the job done. And so this approach made people very upset with me because they felt like I didn't care and I blew off their feelings on certain matters. 
Um, but it's it's not that I didn't care. I just didn't see the benefit of complaining about something in that moment when the job needs to be done, right? Like it's it's we're sitting here complaining about something, but in that we still gotta get this complete no matter what, because this is what our you know, bosses, management, or whoever is asking for. So why waste time? Let's just get it done. Now, don't get me wrong. After the fact, if we want to talk about what we could do to get better, to improve, and so a scenario like this doesn't happen again, then that's fine. I'm I'm glad to have those conversations. But like talking about all the problems and all that right then and there, like, no, no, <laughs> please do not, do not involve me in this. <laughs> <laughs> but you know I, it's it's just so funny because i feel like because of my nonchalant attitude to certain things you know some people thought that i was very rude or 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 rather i should say people became very rude snarky and stuff with me uh but i would just continue to kill them with kindness like i'd just be like yeah i mean no problem whatever like i, I don't take it i let them know like, i don't i'm not i'm not taking anything personal uh, whatever you said bad about me in the past, like I, I'm not, you know, harboring any ill will towards you. Like it doesn't bother me at all. Like we're we're good. Like I'm moving on because one is I know that wherever job that I'm working at, it doesn't define me and it's not my, the end all be all in, in my whole life. Like never, it can never be that way. Uh, but I do find that it's really hilarious because some folks really want you to get in the mud with them. You know, they want you to say and do 30 things right back. And um, but I feel like, you know, you can't give people what they want. Uh, you got to stay true to yourself. Uh, but hey, if you are that person that will cut somebody up and down, go for it. <laughs> but go for it. But just know what repercussions that could be coming your way. So I just say, you know, be be cautious of that. But hey, if you can kill them with kindness, do it because in the end, uh, it most likely won't hurt you and you'll probably have a much better reputation, you know, if if that's something that you care about. For me, it's not so that I care about my reputation in a sense. It's more so of I know that I'm a good person and I do right by others. And so if you do anything to kind of offend me in that way by, you know, making me out to be somebody that I'm not, then that's when I could have a problem with you, you know? But okay, we move. We move on to our next anime for discussion. And that is... Season two of Mushoku Tensei, Jobless Reincarnation, episode 10, titled These Feelings. Oh, my failings, my failings feel good. I feel good. Well, yeah, and it was kind of those kind of feelings. <laughs> it was definitely a lovey-dovey episode, I would say, in some ways. But, uh, but yeah, but in this episode of uh, Jobless Reincarnation, we learned that Rudis is working with Shizuka to replicate bringing someone from the real world, IRL, and they're in this, in this anime, uh, that was... Uh, isekai from their current realm uh, so in order to do this shizuka has dedicated a lot of time and research into creating summoning circles in hopes to achieve this goal so basically shizuka and rudis they have this agreement where shizuka is going to continue creating these summoning circles from research that she's made and experiences that she had but 
The problem is she can't activate it because she doesn't have mana. And so she relies on Rudis and the deal that they made. Like, hey, if you, you know, share your mana with me in doing this research, then I'll share as much information and knowledge that I have that could help you out in, in the future. And so um, and seeing, you know, them create these summoning circles, it makes me want to talk about them because, uh, in anime, we see them a lot, especially like alchemy-based anime. You definitely see a lot of summoning circles. And I would say maybe to some degree, uh, if there's anyone that's more um, built around like resurrections and stuff like that, you normally will always see this type of thing in anime. Um, so, you know, let's talk about summoning circles. Now, summoning circles are called, or rather also called magic circles, so, I mean, it makes sense, right? <laughs> like I'm performing magic, magic, summoning circle, same thing, you know. Uh, but it is a circle of space marked out by practitioners of some branches of ritual magic. Um, now, generally, they, it's believed that they contain energy from a sacred space or will provide them a form of magical protection and sometimes both. Now, it may be marked physically, which, you know, in this anime of Jobless Reincarnation, we had them physically marked on a piece of paper. And, I mean, you can go back to other animes like um, Naruto, which would be a really, really uh, good example for that. And they're summoning jutsu and techniques. And they normally have it written down in a scroll or something like that, right? Um, but, yeah, it could be marked physically down. Uh, it can also be drawn in materials like salt, flour, chalk, uh, and sometimes uh, visually um, um, created as well. Now, there's examples of this in Jewish customs, which I was actually kind of surprised about this. I didn't, I didn't know this. Uh, that shows that the use of magic circles can be found in the birth uh, protection rituals um, and the surrounding area. So, when somebody, I guess when somebody was being born, you know, in the Jewish customs, they used to use magic circles uh, as part of their rituals. Uh, now, as early as the 1560s, a text by the rabbi named Nafatali Hish bin Elzair Treves, which I'm sure I completely brutalized that name, <laughs> uh, notes a custom in which a circle is drawn around the birthing woman to protect her from the Lilith and demons. Now, if I can remember correctly, like the Lilith is like a, it's like a sea, like a sea monster or like a, a night like a night monster. I can't, I'm, 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 I can visualize the face because it's, I, I visualize like a woman that's like very, um, uh, like they've been in like the sewers, you know, living in a lot, like in the swamp or something like that. And, you know, big teeth, big, big sharp teeth. That's kind of what I imagine, but I could be wrong about that. Uh, now this was done using a, crash measure or a circle knife, uh, which would be wielded by the midwife or the father of the child. So that's, I mean, I guess you would feel comfortable with handing your midwife a knife and being like, Hey, handle this, <laughs> handle this, uh, summoning circle incantation, please. <laughs> um, 
Uh, Fifi says, hey, I got to go, but thanks for the art inspiration. Hope uh, hope you like it. Oh, no doubt. No doubt. You are so, 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 so welcome. And I hope that you have uh, the, enjoy the remainder of your day. And thanks for, for showing up and showing out. I appreciate you. Um, so, yeah. So, uh, so that's with Jewish customs. Now, uh, in Wicca, which is also known as the craft in I feel like that a lot of this ties into um and I wish I could remember the name of that old it's a super old movie uh that had witches in it. Dang, I cannot remember the name of it. The cra- I mean, it might have been called The Craft to be honest. <laughs> it might have been called that, but um so you know, the, the Wicca is pretty much a modern neo-pagan syncreate uh, religion. Uh, scholars of religion categorize it as both a new religious movement and as part of the occultist Western times. So that's a little bit about what Wicca is um, in summary. Now, uh, during this time, it's also traditional in European grimoires that a magic circle is typically nine feet in diameter through the size of um, I'm sorry, though the size can vary depending on the purpose for that circle. So I imagine like if you're trying to, I know, bring back a whole person, you're probably going to have a huge summoning circle, right? You know, a huge magic circle. It wouldn't be something that's, you know, the size of a quarter, right? <laughs> it wouldn't make sense. Uh, and they also say that it depends on the preference of the caster as well. Now, some varieties of Wicca use the common ceremonial color attributions for quarter candles. So they say uh, yellow candles for air in the east, red for fire in the south, blue for water in the west, and green for earth in the north. Which, I mean, now it got me thinking about, is this related to the Avatar? <laughs> because, I mean, all of these, all of these um, areas usually have some type of color coordination and element with it. And so I see a lot of that in this as well. Um, now, the common technique for raising energy within the circle is by means of a cone of power. Now, hopefully I can do some research on these ideals or... Um, theories or the way that they were made because um i feel like this is a great source for how alchemy uh in animes is done or even in novels and movies and stuff like that so it seems like uh this whole like raising energy concept possibly came from this but um i'm sure that there's way 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 older examples of this and so they all probably tie into each other some way or uh, one way or another uh, but yeah, the barrier is believed to be fragile so that leaving or passing through the circle will weaken or dispel it, which, I mean, it makes sense. Like if you're trying to summon something, uh, it's it's likely that it's fragile. It could break, you know? And so they got a, a bunch of examples and discussions on like how um, the summoning circles, they have things that open and close those circles and you have to be informed about that and how to draw that energy. So I always, I find 
uh, Summer in the Circles to be very, very interesting. Uh, feel free to look more into that if there's something that you're interested in. I didn't want to go too, too far into it, but as you can see, there is a lot of history that's kind of evolving around uh, what Magic Circles are, right? Sweet Reincarnation, episode 11, titled Reinforcements in a Bittersweet First Deployment. Now, in this episode of Sweet Reincarnation, the Huberek family goes into war with a very cunning man named Luturote, who sets a trap by sharing false information of how his large... Ooh, excuse me. Burp that baby. <laughs> <laughs> well, sharing information of how large uh, his army really is. So he pretty much said, hey, I want them to believe that I have a small unit of about 10,000 soldiers, but I really have more like 40 to 50,000. And so telling them that information, uh, they're going to, you know, do something with their um, their their alignments in war and think that they don't have to put as much resources behind their teams uh, to defend their their area, their town. And so um, in efforts to do this major ambush on the young Squall Katresek, whom has been honored by the Huberic family in his engagement to Petra Huberic to participate in this war as his first fight for the family's future. So, you know, he gets married off to, um, uh, to Petra and they say, Hey, you know, you're going to, you're the future for our family. You know, you're going to be the heir apparent in a lot of ways. And so in, in um, efforts for you to shine, you do well in this fight, in this war, uh, that's only going to make you look better within our family and give you a lot of favor. And so, you know, eventually Squall gets caught into Lutrote's trap and sees himself in a very tight position that could spell death for him at a very young age. And so watching this episode, I was like, man, like, war like war is something that nobody wants right like i think we all can agree war sucks you know we don't want to see people uh become victims get hurt anything like that now you know to some degree some people will say that war may be inevitable t thing too uh but overall like you know i don't think most people want to see uh harm come to others you know unless <laughs> i was like probably unless it's something that is uh you know, uh, needed to happen, I guess. Um, but anyways, you know, youth going to war is something I want to talk about because I don't think this is something that is really thought of too much when we think about, um, just our history, but it definitely happens. And it's, and it's possible that it can happen again in the future, whether it's not, uh, for, somebody in the Western hemisphere of the world, it could be in the Eastern hemisphere of the world, right? So it could affect you. Um, now, throughout history, in many different cultures, children have been involved in military campaigns, believe it or not. In uh, earlier times, some would have... Uh, now, let me kind of dial that back a little bit. You know, in the past, it wasn't that they would be trained to combat but they would take on roles uh during war much like drummer boys or provide food and rations or weapons or ammunition uh to the soldiers that were actually 
you know, uh, going to war during that time. And uh, did y'all know that there were thousands of children that participated in all sides of the war? Then that goes from like the First World War, the Spanish Civil War, um, the Second World War. I mean, even more, like it was a bunch of times where you got to see examples of war kind of breaking out and young folks were a part of this, you know? And I, I wish I had pictures that I could show y'all, but I mean, you had kids that were little like, 10, you know, 11, 13 years old that were going out and being a part of this and some of sometimes actually being a part of the combat. That's a scary thing to think, you know, that some, you know, a child that might not had that much training at all, they just started learning within the last couple of months and you're sending them out there to fend for themselves and other people that's within their company. It's that's that's heavy. It's really, really heavy, but you know, it's 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 definitely uh, history. It's happened. Okay. Well, we move. We move on to our next anime for discussion. And that is... The Great Cleric, episode 10, titled The Secret of Substance X. Hmm. The Secret of Substance X. Now, in this episode of The Great Cleric, Lucille returns back to the church's shopkeeper, Catalea, exchanging the soul gems from his dungeon raids for new equipment. So, long story short, she's pretty much like, uh, I mean, she's the shop person. She's where you go buy your new gear and all that from. You know, if you play MMOs, you see this all the time, right? Uh, so Catalia offers Lucio a pillow called the Angel's Pillow and explains that it has magical properties that would allow him to sleep much more peacefully and also help him regain his strength a lot more, uh, a lot faster. And so, yeah, I mean, as soon as I saw this Angel's Pillow, I was like, oh, my goodness, I really wish I had an Angel's Pillow. I could really use that. <laughs> <laughs> like please and I, I may i had to talk about the different types of pillows because i really think that a lot of us underestimate the importance of sleep quality and um pillows are generally like a very important parts to help us sleep and make us feel a little bit more comfortable right now i got some information from casper.com which had an article that described 12 different types of pillows for every sleeping position you wanted or that you do rather. So I want to show y'all that right now uh, for those that are watching the live stream. So check this out. So here's the chart of our different sleeping types. So if y'all can see those at the top, um, we have side sleepers, back sleepers, and stomach sleepers. And depending on where you fall within this spectrum, uh, will kind of determine like the quality of pillow that you would want. And so when it comes down to like very, so they have a scale that's about five different metrics. So you have very soft, medium soft, which I don't know what medium soft would be, but medium, medium firm, and then very firm. And so depending on which type of sleeper you are, you would go from, um, you know, so for example, slide, uh, side sleepers, they tend to like more very soft 
to medium uh, pillows. Back sleepers tend to like more medium to medium firm pillows. And then stomach sleepers like more medium to medium firm sleepers. So just based off of these types, it seems like not, not very many people like very firm uh, pillow types, right? Um, now, there are 12 different pillow types, or there's technically 14. I want to say like two of them are kind of uh, merged into other categories. But so I'm, I'm not going to share all of them, like what they're about, but I will uh, tell you what those pillow types are. So you have down, synthetic down, feather, cotton, latex, memory foam, shredded memory foam, bamboo, gel, polyester, buckwheat, microbead, orthopedic, and body pillows. So that's a lot. <laughs> that's a lot of different pillows. It's like, you know, um, I'm sure that we all probably, a lot of us probably go to the store and like, okay, what's the cheapest pillow that you got out there that looks soft? <laughs> <laughs> but no, truly, like you'll probably want to do some more research and kind of investigate your sleep types and what could be um, better for you, because this could honestly improve your sleep quality. So um, I won't describe all of them, as I stated before, uh, but I do have a chart that I want to pull up real quick for y'all that can kind of explain uh, where you might fall in from your sleeping type and uh, the type of pillow that could be beneficial for you in your sleep. So boom, I put that up right now. And so boom, so there you see it. So you see the 14 different pillow types uh, along with your three categories for your sleeping types. So you got your back sleeper, your side sleeper, and your stomach sleeper. So immediately as I look at this list, I say to myself, okay, if you are a side sleeper, then most likely you're not going to have that many there. Uh, you're not going to have a large variety of pillows that you can choose from. Uh, it looks like uh, about uh, about eight, about eight of the twelve of the 14 different pillow types uh, you won't be able to use. Or I'm sorry, that's more so like six of them you won't be able to use. But if you look at something like back sleeper, uh, you pretty much can use all the types of pillows and you'll be just fine. You know, it's just kind of finding out which one is more comfortable for you. Uh, and then I would say second in place is stomach sleepers, which, man, I don't I mean, I to be honest, I bounce around all three of these. <laughs> I start out on my back, then I end out on my side and I probably wake up on my stomach like it's. It's really weird, but I would say for the most part, I'm probably uh, go between back to side sleeping. Uh, I really, I do enjoy sleep, uh, sitting on my, sleeping on my side mostly. And that's because I'm usually got the fan blowing right on me. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so, I mean, hopefully this has been something that's been incredibly informative for you. Definitely take the time to look at these different pillow types to figure out which one works for your sleeping type. And, you know, hopefully uh, you're able to get some really good rest going forward. But uh, definitely in the uh, down in the comments, let me know what your sleeping type is and which pillow you prefer uh, or which you 
are thinking about considering. Maybe there's a pillow type. You're like, man, you know what? I'm gonna give this a try and see how how things go, and let me know how they went. <laughs> All right, we move. We move on to our next anime for discussion, and that is. Roni Kenshin, episode 10, titled A Reason to Act. Now, in this episode of Roni Kenshin, Megumi is approached by the wealthy opium dealer, Kenryu Takeda, with a proposal to return to his organization and develop more opium, or he would burn down Kaoru's dojo. So he's like, look, I know you be staying at those folks' house over there up the street. I'm going to tell you this. I'm going to tell you this one time. If you don't come back to me and stay here, I'm going to burn that place to the ground, and they're not going to have any place to live. And I know that's something, a place that's very, very important to them. So the choice is yours. Are you going to destroy their happy home, their happy business of hers? Up to you. So as a result of this, Megumi leaves the dojo for Kanryu's place where she is later thrown in a locked room without any way of escaping. So I want to ask y'all, have you ever been locked in a room before? Now, I mean, I'll say room, but it doesn't have to be room. Uh, uh, it could be a car, you know, it could be a vehicle. It could be something like that. Now for me, uh, there was a time where me and one of my coworkers got stuck in a freight elevator for one of my old jobs. <laughs> and uh, it's so crazy because I was so panicked during this time. And But you would think like, okay, the reason why most people panic when they're, especially when it's like an elevator, is because the space is so small. But that was definitely not the reason why I was panicking. It was hot. <laughs> It was so dang hot. Like, I, I just, right, it had to have been at least 101 degrees outside. And there was no AC on at all in this elevator. And so I was just complaining the whole time about how hot I was. And I was sweating. Like, it almost felt like I was instantly sweating. It was crazy how hot it was in there. But now here's the thing. Like, I normally don't complain about a lot of things. But man, I got to tell y'all, when it's hot, oh, I'm going to find something to complain about. <laughs> I'm gonna, that's going to be my number one complaint the whole time we, you know, I'm hot. You know, we go out to, uh, you know, a lot of people go to festivals and stuff like that. Look, I'm you can't invite me to stuff like that because I'm probably going to complain the whole time about how hot it is and why we doing all this walking and stuff like that. Now. If the temperature is relatively good, maybe cloudy or something like that, oh, you won't hear any complaints and I'm chilling, big vibes, we're having a good time. Uh, but yeah, like, it, you know, another thing that I find to be so funny, at least with me when I, you know, when it's hot and I'm complaining about it, um, I don't know, I just find it to be so funny when you're worried. I, I swear you start asking some of the dumbest questions in moments like this, like, I think I asked the question like, hey, you think anyone else ever got stuck on this elevator before? <laughs> like, why? Like, why are you asking this question during this time where you're pretty much locked in? It's 100 something degrees. 
shouldn't you be worried more about your life? You know, if, if y'all are going to survive this event, but you just start throwing out all these different things. And I, I think it's a defense mechanism so that you can, uh, both of y'all could be more calm in the process possibly, or even more, well, you being calm mostly in that process. But, but yeah, Hey, if you've ever been locked in a room or someplace, definitely let me know down in the comment section. Uh, really interested to hear what you've been through. Uh, if you have any unique experiences, I mean, look, I got stuck in the elevator. We got out of there. <laughs> and eventually it was just old and it just needed a little bit more time to start working. So I, I want to say we pressed a couple buttons uh, like the up or down button. And eventually like it jump started back up maybe three or four minutes after the fact. So lucky us, right? <laughs> uh, but okay. We move, we move to our next anime for discussion. And that is season two of Bleach's Thousand Year Blood War, episode 22, titled Marching Out the Zombies. Look, I got to tell y'all, <laughs> this was the episode, one of the episodes I was the most hyped for because of the last scene in this episode like that i really wanted to see how that was going to turn out now this i would say like the sad thing about this episode is um dang no you know what i'm not gonna talk about it i'm not gonna talk about it. i'll wait till next week to bring that up but i just want y'all hold me accountable what i want to talk about is fanboys and fangirls if you tell me that I'll remember. I'll remember what I want to discuss in next week's episode. I promise when we talk about Bleach. Uh, but yeah, in this episode of Bleach, um, Giselle, who is a Quincy member of the Wonderick Sternritter group with the destination or designation of Z. And uh, she is confronted by Soul Society members Yumi Chika and Ikaku of the 11 division. So if any of y'all are huge fans of the 11 division captain, uh, then you know that that is Zaraki Kempachi's unit. Um, but now upset by her failed ploy, Giselle calls upon Bambi, who she transformed into a zombie using her powers and pretty much had full control of her to attack all members of soul society. And uh, unable to subdue Giselle, uh, Yumi Chika and Ukaku, they pretty much get beat down. Like they, like they get they get tossed aside. Bambi comes in the mix, and because she's a zombie and no, any moves that's done on her really doesn't affect her. Um, they struggle. You know, they struggle real bad, and they seem to have a real big problem trying to find a solution of how they can kind of get in a, a winning a scenario. Uh, now, you know, seeming down on their luck uh, until a very special person appears with a shy, a very shiny outfit. And that ha person happens to be the genius 11th, I say 11th, <laughs> the genius 12th of division captain and vice president of the Shinigami Research and Development Institute, Mayuri Kurski, which I probably said that all wrong. His last name. I always messed up his last name. <laughs> but uh, I love the last line that Captain Mayuri shared. He says, hey, don't you know great people often appear to be shining? 
<laughs> bling, bling. But yeah, so, you know, the question is, do great people have auras? Do they? I, don't, I mean, hey, now, according to spiritual beliefs, an aura or energy field is a colored animation or emanation said to enclose a human body or any animal or object. Now, in some historic, uh, esteric positions, the aura is described as a subtle body. So basically a part of you. Uh, that's, that's the way I get that. But um, man, do I think that people have auras around them? Hmm. Hmm. I, I mean, I don't I, I really do think that people do have auras, but not in the literal sense, like not when you look at them and they're absolutely just shining, you know, light is actually emanating and coming throughout their body. Like, no, nothing like that. But a prime example of what I think would constitute as someone with auras are very charismatic people. Uh, because they tend to have this from my perspective. So, you know, the phase um, or phrase rather when a certain person comes into the room and they automatically light up like, man, you know, Jay, anytime they come in the room, they light the room up. Like they, they're just a pleasure to have. And they, they bring that energy that everybody loves, you know? And so I think that comes with someone that's very charismatic. You know, they have that aura about them. Um, what else? Uh, but you know, even though it doesn't have to necessarily be just someone that's charismatic, uh, we also see times where we have conversations revolving around people's energy, because I mean, this is an energy conversation, right? You know, they say, okay, uh, an aura is somewhat of an energy field. So think about the phrases that we hear when we have conversations and we say, oh, like, I don't like hanging out with that person because they get off, they give off bad energy or man, I love hanging around her or him because they had, they give off such good energy. Like, wouldn't that constitute as an aura? You know what I'm saying? I really do think that that could be an aura in a lot of ways. So once again, not to be taken literal, but I do think the concept of what it is, uh, is pretty true, but Okay. We move, we move on to our next anime for discussion. And this is our last anime for discussion for tonight's episode. And that is season two of Jujutsu Kaisen, episode 31, titled Evening Festival. Hmm. Now, man, this was... Ah, this was such a dope episode. Like Bleach went ham, Jujutsu Kaisen went ham, uh, Undead Murder Forest was dope. Really, really good anime episodes this week. Uh, but in this episode of Jujutsu Kaisen, uh, Kokichi Muta, who is a second-year student at the Kyoto Jujutsu High School, gets into an action-packed fight with a special-grade cursed spirit who's allied with Suguru Ghetto named Mahito. So, if you, you know, for those of you that have been watching Jujutsu Kaisen for some time now, we all know how strong Mahito is and how strong he has gotten since all of the different fights that he's had. And he seems to be... Um, He's kind of a branch or, yeah, a branch off of uh, K 
Kimpachi in a lot of ways. I mean, I feel like they're similar where like they always want to fight and they want to get stronger, you know, as, as they go along those right. They just want good fights. Um, so in this episode with this fight that they had between each other, uh, I mean, man, it was spectacular to watch. It was just so, 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 so good. And uh, I don't want to spoil too much for those of you that may have not had the chance to watch it just yet. But long story short, uh, Kokichi made a huge mistake and he celebrated way too early. Um, if y'all, for those of y'all that are watching the live stream right now, you can see this picture of him uh, and very happy and excited. Like, yeah, I did it. I'm good. But right around the corner, he suffered defeat. <laughs> and that's all I'm going to say about that. But so I want to talk about celebrating too soon. You know, you know, have you celebrated too soon on something before? I, I mean, I feel like a lot of us have probably had this experience at least one time where, you know, you thought things were going really, really well. Uh, and then, you know, you, so you were lined up like, yeah, like I'm about to win this money or whatever the case may be. And tragedy is right around the corner <laughs> and you don't do well after all. So um, I think many of the times, you know, examples that we see of this happen in sports. So I think the first thing that comes to mind is like football, where somebody uh, celebrates, you know, they're dancing towards the end zone and uh, you know, they're excited, they're happy, they're feeling good, but don't realize there's somebody on their blind side that pops them <laughs> and it hits them really hard and it makes them fumble the ball and or maybe it becomes like a touchback situation. Something of that, to that elk um, that ends up hurting the team and them losing the game. Uh, those are moments that we see. Um, I'm not going to say often, but examples of that where celebrating too soon can really end up becoming a costly thing. Um, now, I think like how often do we think things happen uh, when we celebrate too soon, you know, in our lives? You know, how often does this happen? I mean, I feel like I'm not going to say it's every time because I feel like most People, when they're off to do something, they look to complete that task and see it all the way through. And so once the job's done, then they celebrate right after the fact. And it's cool. Um, but I think there's some little minor def uh, or defeats that we have, uh, like video games, for example, where maybe you're up on your your opponent uh, and you got them down and it's like you're feeling really good about it. You know, you kind of let off the pedal a little bit and then now they have this great comeback mechanic and you hear the guile music start playing in the background and you're scared. <laughs> you're scared, you worry, you panic, and you end up losing in the end. And I mean, you hear this saying all the time, finish your plate, you know, finish what's on your plate. They're basically saying, hey, don't celebrate until the job's done and complete. And then after that fact, that's when you can go and have a good time, pop bottles, eat good food, hang out with your friends, laugh, whatever, you know, do your, uh, your dance, uh, your celebration dance. <laughs> but okay. 
Well, hey, that is all we have for uh, today's show. If you are a new listener, please be sure to check out the links below in the description as you can find more dope bingo book podcast content on DSPs wherever you listen to your podcast at. Uh, also on our YouTube, Twitch, Facebook, and Kick pages. Uh, you know, we'd love to have your support there. Uh, please feel free to give a like as well. Uh, and if you want to follow us, that's cool too. Uh, I also have a discord called Jay's crib. Uh, so if you like to hang out and get some notifications whenever I go live, uh, we'd love to have you a part of our community. Uh, you know, we're growing slowly, but surely we're getting close to that 50 member, um, um, uh, goal of ours. And so we hope that you could help us there. Uh, and Hey, you know, if you are a DSP listener, thank you very much. This is the end of our episode. I hope that y'all have a great night. And I'm out this thing. Peace.